Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh. Today, we are so thrilled to have Dr. Janae Davis with us. She is an OBGYN at Licking Memorial Hospital in Newark, Ohio, our hometown. And she goes and takes us to school. This is hilarious and eye-opening and informative. She talks about private parts and delivering babies and orgasms and sex and relationships and love. And it it was an hour I will never forget, and I hope I will have many more. She's going to be our resident physician on the podcast, and we are just so excited for you guys to hear this interview. Let's get started. And going to Kent State, I got into a six-year medical program where you go through undergrad in two years. Who in the world ever thought of that? That's hot mess. Yeah. Um, and then you have four years of med school. And when I went to... Um, Kent State for my undergrad, I figured out right then, like it smacked me in the face, like you are not who you thought you were at all. Like it was really, really a a tough time for me with anxiety and everybody who was in my medical program had been through AP classes and were like tested out of all these classes. But because I had gone to this little Amish, essentially a country Amish school, we didn't have AP. So I was taking like 22 to 24 credit hours a semester. And you went like a week after you graduated high school and then, you know, summer, winter, spring, summer, winter, spring, summer. And a week after that, you started med school. And I really struggled. Um, I think that was my first bout with transparency about my personal mental health and anxiety. (laughs) And I just about lost my shit, you know, and had to really do some some focus work with a counselor about what is, who is Janae? Like, what am I doing here? Why is it that yesterday I was totally a hundred percent fine with who I was. And then all of a sudden I get around some other people and I act like I'm, I'm not the person who I thought that I was. And I think that's what we all struggle with, or a lot of us struggle with and is in relation to other people, how we see ourselves. And so with my two girls that I have now, I really work hard to say it really and with Kelly McVeigh, who gives <laughs> Kelly a fuck McVay for sure. What anybody else thinks about what you're doing, all that you really need to center yourself on is what you think that you're doing. Um, you know, and so I, I went through a process in undergrad where I really uh, figured out um, Janae is okay, you know, and I, and I need to do me. And I, and I started taking care of myself. And then I did four years of med school. Um, and I met my first, that's right, ladies, yeah. first ex husband. Yes, bring uh, it. I love that you yes. like say this so confidently. Oh, absolutely. First ex-husband. I've met him in the ER when I was doing rotations. And let me tell you what I totally fell for that cliche uh, (laughs) fireman smelling like smoke coming through the ER with them big boots and uh, overalls or what you call them. Man, he was something to look at. And I thought he really likes this mature Janae, right? Because I'm so mature because he was 15 years older than me. Ding, ding, ding. No, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. He just liked younger women. (laughs) And after we got married, continued to like them. And I kept getting older and he kept getting into the youngers. So needless to say, that didn't work out. Um, Really, really devastating. Had my second bout with counseling then and had to reestablish who is Janae. You know, because at that time I was working about 120 hours a week um, during residency, that was before they made the law um, where you could only work 80 hours a work week and all these things. So it was really a 
very, very, very intensive, lose yourself in it situation. And being a minority female in surgery, which is a whole nother conversation I can talk about race relations in America, but it was not the best time and best place to be a minority female in a surgical field. So I showed up early and stayed late every day to, to make that work for myself. And I really, honestly, looking back at it, and it's, it's easy to just blame the demise of a marriage on somebody having infidelity, but I wasn't present in that marriage at all. I was, I lived at the hospital and probably should have paid rent there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when we, when I went through that divorce, it was really, really, really easy for people to support me and that asshole. And he did this and that and really didn't give me the time that I needed to recognize what, what is it that Janae did that didn't, um, didn't shake out the way that it needed to where I, where I wasn't accountable for what I needed to do in that relationship. So that was a good learning experience for me. Um, I left that, uh, moved to Columbus, uh, area, moved in with my sister. She had a son who was seven years older than my daughter. Um, and we moved in together and kind of single parented it. And I met, uh, my second ex-husband yes. <laughs> here in yeah. town yeah. and, uh, I think at that time I was in my early thirties and I think I, I think I want another baby or something. And he was super nice. Y'all we look like Barack and Michelle. I ain't even lying. Y'all would have thought we was Barack and Michelle up in here. Listen, I thought I was it. So I was at the hospital, you know, he worked at the bank and, um, just really again, was looked right on paper, but didn't really delve into it and, and got engaged and, and got married to a super, super nice person. Um, and we had some superficial conversations, I think, about what what's a deal breaker in a relationship, right? Because I knew what I was doing then because I was already divorced once, so I knew what I was doing. So, you know, hey, deal breaker for me, you got to be a hard worker. You know, yeah, me too, me too. You know, a deal breaker for me, you got to, you know, really care about family. Yeah, me too, me too. But when you don't have the right definitions for things and you guys are not clear on your definitions, that in lies the problem. And so my definition of work really, really hard means work until it's done. Yeah. And his definition of work really hard was work until I'm tired. Yeah. And that fucking does not work. Okay. So I think a lot of women are chronically disappointed and then their partners feel chronically underappreciated. And that is a, a big problem that people have in relationships. It's a definition problem. It's not that someone thinks that they aren't giving their hundred percent. It's that, do you guys really, really understand what that means? And so that didn't work for me. And there's a cost in that. And I think Kelly, you and I probably had a lot of these conversations. There's a cost when you decide to leave a relationship that everyone else doesn't know is toxic for you or doesn't know um, how that's making you feel. Um, And you don't owe anybody an explanation about your shit. You just don't. Um, They're not in your house. They're not in your head. They're not in your heart. They're not in your spirit. You know, what is it that you're, what kind of energy are you bringing to your children when you come home? What type of energy does it take to open that car door and get out of this car and fucking go in this house and deal with this man? And I don't even want to deal with him. Like you don't owe that to anybody. And I really, really, really want, and I try to empower my patients to really focus on what is it that you need? Like, why is it that we're thinking about everybody else's needs above our own? Nobody is more important than you. (laughs) You can't, you can't give from an empty cup, right? We can't pour into somebody else's when we're empty. So I, I left that relationship under huge cost, huge cost, uh, because we still stay in the same, um, community and my younger child, um, is is bearing the consequence of that you know that he was you know very upset that that relationship does did not continue um and still upset about it 10 years later and there's a cost to that but what i gained out of it and what i would pay a hundred times over again is the janae that i got back by leaving right and it has to be worth it and at the end of the day i don't know that to anybody else either i i i know who i am i know what type of mother i am i know 
what type of physician I am. I know how transparent I can be with my patients to talk with them about my trials and tribulations and about that hurt and how long it take, it's going to take. I probably told Kelly, it's going to take a couple of years, girl. I'm like, right. yeah, this ain't, this ain't one of them, you know, one and done. This is, this is, this is some shit. <laughs> this hurts. Like, this is ugly. And that's like, bleh. like, that's nauseating. You know, that feeling of sitting there the first time you shut the door by yourself and you gotta, you gotta sit with yourself. But once you get comfortable with yourself, and, and the decisions that you make for yourself. It is such a gift that you can give, not just to yourself, but to your children and to whoever else it is that um, watches you go through that. And then you have an opportunity to share that with other people. So, you know, right now I'm on my third marriage. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. I feel great about it. He's amazing. We've been together almost 10 years. And it took me, yep, yeah, about mm, 15 years to figure out who Janae is, but he's, he's an awesome partner. And we are not the same type of person. We don't have the same political views all the time. Yeah. We don't have the same views on how to raise kids. He can be an asshole. I can be a jerk. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, but it's okay because our partnership and our definitions are, are very similar. So we know where we're all at. We're grown. We don't apologize for who we are. We're not trying to be different people. Um, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at in my life, 43 and feeling awesome. I feel awesome at 43. I feel way better than I felt when I was 33, 23. I feel way better than all those times. So yeah, that, that's about well, me. Listen, I feel that's like there's like me. a million things that could come from everything you just said. I mean, <laughs> obviously. Go, boom. obviously okay so do you feel like because I I feel like obviously you've done like a lot of work and yeah a lot of work a lot of work so being from where you grew up was it hard for you to even understand and this is just totally a guess like I feel like counseling and diving into that and like working on yourself isn't always something that people in small town know is important and maybe Never that's, maybe that's stereotyping in a sense, but I feel like was it hard for you to like dive into that whole thing? And I'm this is a total guess and and a perception I have, but I I could be wrong. Yeah. But I feel like you seem like you are a per, like super hard worker, and I feel like probably a perfectionist in a lot of ways. Is that true yeah. about you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how? <laughs> yeah, the small town, that the counseling is a no. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everybody out there stays married even though they can't stand their spouse. Doesn't matter. You're going to stay married for 50 years till somebody dies. That's totally. just how it goes. Yeah. Um, if there was a little scandal where, you know, so-and-so winked at so-and-so, that was like a big, huge scandal. But everybody was in everybody's business because everybody knew everybody. So it was really... You know, hard. everybody was poor where I grew up. You know, everybody was struggling. You know, everybody, nobody had anything. It wasn't like we were out trying to, you know, wear the latest and greatest of clothing or whatever. So My mom sewed our clothes. We went to Goodwill. Was money an issue because you, like, your the financials of your family, was that part of the reason that you pushed so hard in medical school? And do you think that's part of the reason you work a million hours? I think that um, generational wealth is ex- extremely important to me. When I was growing up, which, again, doing more work even in light of recent events, um, black people just had to there. That was the expectation. There was no um, there was no anything except that you just have to do better and work harder and be the best. And that was it. Yeah. Um, My parents owned an insurance agency business and my dad. I saw him a million times lower his voice when he would speak to white people, you know, just um, and I found out probably when I was in second grade, one of my friends, at least I, th- I thought he was my friend, his name was Brian, and he came to school and he was crying. And I was like, what's wrong, Brian? And he was like, my mom told me you guys are black. Like, and I was like, that's my first episode of having to deal with understanding that it was okay for me to be friends with people out there, but probably not good enough to date. 
you know yeah. what I mean? And that, that was a kind of a um, realization that me and my sisters and a, and a couple of little chocolate drops, I call us little chocolate drops, a couple no, of little like chocolate it. drops out there got that you just um, perception was that if you weren't faster than everybody else, like, why weren't you? There was something wrong with you. Or if you weren't the best on the basketball team, why weren't you? If you weren't, you know, or if you weren't super smart, then you were really, really, really dumb. Yeah. You know, and my and my family was just very, very intense about representation um, and making sure that there were no reasons why people would have a negative com- conversation about us out there. So that was just how I grew up. So that did was, that, that shift a little when you went into pre-med or no, not at all? Because I guess I just said that, but then you mentioned during your surgical rounds and being in surgery, like as a black woman, that was... You, did you have, feel like you had to work 10 times harder than everyone else to prove yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I even in this job, have heard people commenting on affirmative action. That's the reason why I'm, I've been at Licking for 15 years. You know, this is this is 2021. This is just the shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know who doesn't think that this is really happening. But yeah, there's a, there's a it's, it's hard to get into that field. And so when a person of color does do that, um, there's a lot of animosity that comes with that still. And so, yeah, you you better get your shit straight. Um, and, and there's just an internal expectation, which which we as a black community are un, trying to undo in ourselves of making our kids feel like carrying the burden of that, you know, right. and making ourselves feel like carrying the burden of that. That's not appropriate. And I and I've noticed even in the way that I do with my you're Davis, you have to you, like to my own children. I've done it and, yeah. and had to re, regress myself and back up and apologize to my kids about that because we're all individuals. Right. And in the spirit of anti-racism, you know, just trying to to let everyone be an individual. But that's just not that's just not how it is. And specifically, it's not how it is in Licking County. I've had people come in. I, I hey, there's a nice colored boy that I know who um, who you could date, you know, because they know I'm single. Or they knew yeah. I was single. And I was like, really? Because we're still saying colored because yeah. of 2020. Miss Johnson. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. People just still, we're still there. We're still there. Do you feel like there's any shift, like being a mother? And like, do you feel like there's a shift for the girls? Like, do you think things are getting better? No. Okay. (laughs) No, I think things are getting much more um, blatantly toxic. This is the first time probably in, last year is the first time. My, My daughter, my kids are very, we're very outspoken about things like this. So my younger daughter, uh, my husband, my current husband is white. Yeah. My ex-husband's wife is white. So my daughter has two white step parents. So it's not that there's any like, hey, we don't like white people. There's nothing like that there. Yeah, yeah. But she struggled with, um, my 10-year-old struggled with her hair being as curly as it is. She wanted her hair straight like her white friends and didn't want to embrace her color. Yeah. So we've worked really, really hard on that. My older daughter is 17 and she started a Students Against Racism Forum um, at Heath and we had to when she had an event she had to call the mayor and the police chief and have zooms with them about police presence at this event last year is the first time in Licking County that I've ever felt unsafe I didn't yeah. go to Walmart I didn't go to the stores that I typically would go I didn't take my children and I specifically had my husband go to the store because when people were getting a little bit you know shenanigans happening around I was like yeah the aggressiveness that people have when when you're not around people of color you don't see it but if you're the only black person who walks into a building full of 400 people at walmart yeah that is a very very uncomfortable position whenever you feel the you feel the energy that's negative there towards you and towards your children and that's the that last year was the first time that i felt like i don't know that i want to keep my kids out here 
Right. And I was sad. I was sad to feel like that about a community that I've been in for 15 years. But yeah, I know to blatantly know, I do not think things are getting better. I think people are, are being uh, blindly ignorant right. and just wo- wo- woefully ignorant and not, not recognizing their impact, you know, and, and the responsibility of, of acknowledging systemic racism. I think, no, we're not where we need to be. Yeah, I definitely know not where we need to be. I just, you know how I am, Janae, like unicorns and Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. rainbows. Like I keep fucking hoping that Mm -hmm. we like are going the right direction. Um, But I definitely feel like, and Carrie, I know that she's going to jump in at some point because she's um, Asian. Her um, partner, Asa, is a hot black man for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like they're in LA, but I feel like they the last year and a half, like I know that they have felt angry, um, upset, like want to be a part of it. And you know, one thing that I hate and I feel like in these conversations, I am the outside person. Like, I don't know. I can't say that I understand at all. Right. But I do feel like I always feel bad because not only do you have this thing that you have to deal with and and even that that you have to feel like that Janae when to go to the store but I feel like then there's also this burden that you feel like you have to be the voice and the leader and the do you feel like that I think that there's there's responsibility in that you know and and it, it kind of probably goes back to when I grew up you know like this like the, the who's the model to to be that if there's not anybody else there yeah, but I, I look at it differently now than I did when I was younger because back then it was you better be perfect because they're looking. Whereas now I feel like because of my personality and because I think I have the inner strength to do it, I I can do it when I have the energy to do it. But I give myself permission to take a break sometimes, and my children as well. And my older daughter, I was going to send her to Europe for her senior year um, before COVID happened because I just needed her to get out of Heath, Ohio, and yeah. recognize this is not the world. And she was starting to you know, feel, feel that weight of carrying that, you know, Jaden, can I ask you about this? Like fucking look it up yourself. Like this is not my responsibility. We're all learning. And I think that's what people are understanding is that like, like a lot of my white friends had this epiphany, like, wow, I'm going to really get in. Well, black people are having an epiphany too. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're all within our own communities and within our own family structures, we're all going through something. Like we don't necessarily have the energy to do that with everybody else. So, but I do have a lot of energy. So a lot of times I want to, because I've been in this community and because people feel comfortable talking to me and I'm, and I'm not a shy person. Right. Um, I, I don't feel it as burdensome as other, as some other people feel it, but I do need a break sometimes. And I, I give myself a break when I need it and just say, thanks for thinking of me, but I'm overextended, which I think Kelly McVeigh, I might've told you as one of your sticky note notes, Yes, <laughs> which is my favorite saying, thanks for thinking of me, but I'm overextended. Yeah. And then they can just kiss off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Can I jump in? Yeah, we want you I'm to. I'm so sorry. Time we is want you to, Carrie. Okay, what do you have to say? Listen, you <laughs> are a firecracker. And I have to say, it takes a lot to one-up me and Kelly. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You guys yeah. are awesome. It takes it takes a lot to one-up us, and I think you have. Yeah. She's amazing, I, right? I haven't so listened to Greener Grass, but you probably say this every so no, don't no, no, you can go back. I, I, no, I definitely say I am so excited for every 
guess because that's true. I don't tell them they one up us with oh. energy. <laughs> no, I don't say that. Okay, <laughs> I have so many things, Kelly. Yeah. You have so many things, uh, but okay. I just want to throw it out there, okay? Because and you can just pick what you want to talk about. But number okay. one, I grew up in Newark, Ohio, full full Chinese, okay, and. The difference is, is that these very friendly white people that we grew up with and that I'm friends with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They just like took me in as like a white person. Yep. They said, welcome. I'm just gonna treat you the same, but it's out of a either a, I don't understand. So I'm just gonna forget that you're not white. Mm-hmm. Or that I'm too confused about it to even go there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm going to pretend that you are not different than me. Mm -hmm. And we're all going to be friends. Yep. And that was okay for a little while. But then it wasn't okay. Because mm -hmm. I experienced life completely differently. Because Absolutely. of what I look like. Because of my background. Now being life partnered with a black man and really starting to understand what his life is like on a daily basis. He always says, I'm 50%. Every time I get in my, in my car, it's a 50% chance that I'm going to get pulled over and possibly die. That's mm -hmm. not even being dramatic. No, it's just that's a not real thing. Life. Yep. It's something that he lives with on a daily basis. Yep. Okay, so my dad, Dr. Wee, cardiologist, retired like uh, a while ago, maybe 10 years ago, but he was there for my whole life. Wow. So I was in the parking lot sitting in the car for many, many hours while he was going in for a quick thing. <laughs> yeah. Just really quick, guys. A cardio thing real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Just gonna, just gonna save this person's life really mm -hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. When you said that, I, my ears perked up. And <laughs> what I am very impressed with is that you are still there because I escaped. And it's not because, I think we can all agree, it's not because there aren't things that I do love about that hometown. Obviously, Kelly and I are yeah, very close. Yeah, we, we, have, we all love our hometown for sure. We do, but damn, it is, there's this blindness about it. I am just like very, very, very like, whoa, you're a warrior. Whoa. And then um, number two, <laughs> oh my God, I have so many things. All right. I just want to jump in to give you my thoughts because I was like, wonderful. my ears are perking and I'm like, but Kelly's, you know, Kelly's totally got this and she's got a million questions. So no, I, I can appreciate what you said. And, and like you said, it, I, I don't even want to say it was laziness on the parts of your uh, peers. It was the probably when whenever that conversation came up with people at their home, they were saying, we're just going to treat it because we don't see we don't see color. We don't see anything. We're all yeah. just treating everybody the same. And so yeah. that was that's an easy way to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And back oh, then the it was conversations. Even, yeah, it wasn't even politically incorrect. It was just like that. Yeah, we're just going to act like everybody's saying, but that's so dismissive. Right. And it's just so it just doesn't acknowledge who you are as a person. And then over time you know, what that, what that does to you. But now if you were to come back to Newark, which Kelly will probably tell you, like people are so emboldened to just actively not want anybody who doesn't look like them to be here, you know, or have conversations about, you know, what Granville just had a conversation about 
different family structures. Good God. You know, this was like the whole school board had to like stand up and have this whole thing. Like it's just really, really, yeah, they didn't want them to teach a family unit that didn't have anything other than a nuclear mom, dad family. Even yeah. And I grew up in Grand, I, I lived, yeah. that was where our actual house was. And yeah. I agree though, Janae, that I've never been more equipped to get into the conversation than I am now. Right. You know, I'm 44 and I really believe that I just found my voice this year. There you go. Well, hey, you and found then I started two podcasts. There we go. And you did your so, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So I found my voice and then I got a microphone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Good for you. Good you for will you. listen to me, goddammit. <laughs> That's totally fine. I love yeah. it. You like it. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I had other things to say, but I just wanted to jump in. I'm going to jump in a little bit later. I'm going to let I'm going to let Kelly ask her million questions. So I feel like you know, being a perfectionist. Did you? I mean, obviously, you are in a super amazing space, and I feel like I have a hard time still being totally honest, saying like all oh, this relation, like I've been divorced twice. Like I I don't like that. Like I don't like saying that, and it's partially because I'm a perfectionist. So was it really mm-hmm. hard for you to come to that conclusion? To I think be divorced twice. You know what did it was my kids. I being able to celebrate mistakes with them. Yeah. Try to get them to not end up the way I ended up with my anxiety attack in college. It is so freeing to just say out loud, let me tell you what I fucked up today and big time. Like we at the dinner table, I'll say, okay, what are we going to talk about? What'd you mess up today? Like before I even want to hear anything good that happened, what did you do that was jacked up? And let's (laughs) celebrate that as a learning experience because I'm an amazing wife now. I'm fucking amazing. I am an amazing mother. I am fucking amazing with my kids, but I wasn't before. And so I can appreciate that. You know, even, and it's been 10 years, but I can even look at both of them ex-husbands. I love them. They gave me the two of the best gifts I ever had, but we weren't supposed to be together and that's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. You know, but I had to struggle with that social construct of what that looks like, what it looked like when I was growing up for nobody to get divorced in my family ever for that ever to happen. But I don't give a fuck about those people. They ain't taking care of my kids at night. They don't call and check on me. They don't care how I'm doing. They they don't have any impact in my life whatsoever. What impacts my life is my children. And so if I can give them the opportunity to tell them, I'm still an awesome person, even though I struggled at this or that. And if they feel like they can still be awesome struggling, that's a win for me and it's worth it. And then once you say it a couple times and you just get it out, it just don't feel bad anymore. Right. It just really doesn't. I mean, I can tell you all kinds of stuff about myself. I, I don't even care. I'm missing a tooth in my bottom, my bottom mouth. I'm missing. I tell people, uh-huh, I'm missing this tooth because there was no uh, adult tooth under it. I'm too scared to have somebody drill into my face. So I just take pictures with my mouth shut a little bit more. <laughs> like, I don't even give a shit. Right. Like, it just doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't. And for you to say, you, well, you might want to change your sentence a little bit and just be like, I freaking did practice twice and I am amazing now right. at this. Okay, Think about, I remember. What's the last thing you did right the first fucking time? What's the last thing you did right? Are you I'm at- sure not one of your ballet moves. I'm sure you didn't do none of that. You practiced it, right? Yes. Jesus Christ. Sure. Yeah, so you practiced it. Now you're better than anybody who, who's doing it the first fucking time. For so, sure. I mean, listen, the Absolutely. amount of things that I've taken from the relationships I've been in, um, and even how Jeff and I interact or the conversations that we have or how we take on things because we've both been married before 
It's completely, mm-hmm. and we're 45 and 44, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like totally right. different for sure. Totally different. That's and right. listen, you, you are obviously not all the time, but you are so high energy happy that I can't imagine. And same for me. I don't want to come home and be miserable every day of my life. No, no. And waste Somebody's time. sucking up your good oxygen. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like I can be miserable by myself, but you're sucking up my good oxygen. No, yeah. thanks. Right. No, right. thanks. And I'll tell you what else. This is a little tidbit story. And, and, and I think I've had the luxury of seeing some pretty horrible things happen to people like acutely, which probably changed my perspective. But I remember I was in the um, CT room, uh, CAT scan room with a, and this is a problem too, is that I doing this in this community with women of childbearing age means that I have friends, right. Who are, who need help or are sick or have a tragedy happen for them. And I was in the CT room with one of my, uh, it was a good friend of mine and she um, was bleeding. And the short version is she literally almost bled out on this CT table. We almost lost her on the CT table. And I knew her, I knew her kids, I knew her husband and her husband was standing in that room and I wasn't in the best place in my marriage. And, you know, just kind of, okay, doing the motions. When I tell you he, when I tell you he almost lost his mind, not, not lost his mind as in, um, I'm scared, just God help me. If this woman leaves me, I will die. Like the love that was in him right then. When I say he prayed over her and asked God to come down from the heavens to save his, his soul, save his life, save his life to save his wife's life. I went home that day and told my second, ex, I don't think this is going to work. Yeah. And I'm not even joking. Like to watch a person almost lose their soulmate. I mean, like to that degree, I was like, this is not, I'm not supposed to be in this space. Right. And, and that, and that was it. And I went home and I said that, and, and I'm in a better space now, but that's how I want to feel. If I'm going to leave this earth, God damn it. I'm going to leave it with a person who I want to be there with me if I'm losing my life. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that. Right. And, and that changed me and, and watching people take their last breath, watching people, give birth to dead children. Yeah. I can't, I can't describe that to when you have to tell somebody they lost their child. I know. You know, that's a whole different conversation than when somebody loses a mom, you know, or, or an 80 year old. That's a, that's a different type of, that's a different type of experience that I've been blessed to be able to experience with people, how humbling that is and how, how privileged it is for me to participate in that. But, but that will straighten your shit right up. Yeah, that'll that'll straighten your that'll that'll get you real out of your own zone. Yeah. And and looking at a big picture, you know, and and I just I appreciate those opportunities. So how do you learn? I mean, partially, I think it's the person. Right. But you learn all of this stuff in med school. How do you learn that part? Is that trial by fire? Do you have to be the right person? I mean, I can't be the right person possibly imagine. No, you have to be the right person. Right. And I don't know how to say it, but there's some really shitty doctors out there. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. There's some people who don't give a don't give a rat's ass about people who are out there taking care of people. And I've I've said it to their faces. Yeah. You're a really shitty doctor, like you're maybe thought you were gonna make a bunch of money that we're not making, or you thought your parents were that or whatever it is. But if you don't have genuine compassion uh, for people or an ability to have an empathetic response to someone, or you've never struggled in your life with anything, or you don't know what love feels like, or you can't, you, you can't tell a 70 year old man that his wife he's been married to for 45 years has cancer and just be like, you don't, you don't know what that looks like. You've never seen, you know, a relationship last that long in your grandparents or something. You're just not the right person. And I don't know how else to say that, but 
people feel that. Right. Pe- people know people know that and and feel that, and that's why people who are like me burn out really quick. Like we just can't do it. <laughs> it's yeah. exhausting. Like to take that home is 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 a t- is tough. Yeah, so, not everybody is the right person. So I think when I walk in. I don't know what this if the same is bad to say, but like I'm put together, like you know yeah, what I mean. Girl. I have a great job, whatever, yeah, and I feel great. like well, listen, I feel like I leave my appointments, and I've been to like the most amazing, like you know, counseling <laughs> appointment. I don't even want to call it counseling. It's like I leave with this like aha with my mouth opened. Like that's the reason what? I want to come and have my vajayjay looked what? at because I feel what? like my feet are up and I'm like oh my gosh like she just took me and like broke it down in like 20 minutes time so I and I feel like I somewhat am put together in life so I feel like being a doctor that I am sure and listen just being in the waiting room do you do that with all of your patients and I feel like what about the kid that's going to be a mom way before it's time for them like yep do you do what you do with me, which you just said, it's one of the reasons you get burnt out. So my guess is yes, but do you, if it's the right person and you can tell, because I know you're a people reader, you can tell yeah. that you can have that moment to give them the real, real. Do you do that? Yes. With all my patients. Okay. Now I some assume. of them, like if you come in there and you're 17 years old and you bring your mom in there to talk about your periods, I tell your mom to be quiet. She is 17 years old. If she can't tell me when blood is falling out of her own vagina, then you have an enabling problem and you need to be quiet because we're not giving our kids an opportunity to not be anxious because we don't let them practice adulting after they turn about 15. She should be able to answer her own questions. She should be. And I have a conversation with moms like she's not going to be ready to go to school. Um, She's not ready to leave you and you're overbearing. And I just I'm just point blank with people because that's that's part of my job is to do a clinical assessment on her emotional status. And you might not appreciate what I have to say, but you're not helping her. But the anxiety rates for our and recidivism rate for our kids coming back home because we coddle them too much. We do not give them the opportunity to struggle on their own, to celebrate their mistakes, to do anything wrong. They go to school or go to wherever it is they're going in one minute, mess up one time and have an absolute heart attack like I did. Never messed up one thing because I didn't have a hard class. Are you kidding me? It was like, you know, math four or something. (laughs) It was not calculus. You didn't give them an opportunity to struggle with your support, you know? And so, yeah, I tell parents all the time, this is inappropriate. I tell 15 year olds too bad. I know this is a bad break for you. The condom broke. I don't know what to tell you, but you're going to be a mom. So what are we going to do about it? How we, how we getting this done? And we work on empowerment. You know, I'm not here to fuss at you. What's done is done. We're here to figure out how to make you the best mom for this baby that you can be. And we celebrate that. Yes. Um, my transgender kids, I ask them right in front of their parents, are you sexually active? No, men, women, or both. I, you know how many transgender kids who are close to suicide who have said in front of me and never told their parents both? Or what would you like me to call you? What name do you want me to call you? And give them the opportunity to say out loud in front of somebody that moment where they're allowed to be who they want to be. That's my job. And so absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm here for that because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mental health is too important for us not to acknowledge that that's why people, this is, this ain't ear, nose and throat. Yeah. We're talking about sexual assault. We're talking about um, orgasms. We're talking about your whole sexual health. You know, there's 40 year olds who've never had an orgasm their whole life. 
with a person because they can't open up, you know, like what that looks like, what kind of trauma they've been through. Like, like you don't just talk to anybody about that. So yeah, I take all that serious. I I have that talk every day with all my patients. You know, that's what we're there for. I mean, listen, I could talk to you for like a million hours. So I... I feel like my mouth is hanging open for lots of reasons. Okay, so listen, I assumed that you did that. I assumed I was just listening to a podcast this morning about uh, it was a TED talk and it was a transgender girl, um, mm-hmm. girl now, and she was explaining her. It was from 2016, so it was old. Um, okay, but she was talking about just that it's not when you're younger and you have to decide if you're going to be a doctor or a vet or a teacher. It's that you have to decide if you're going to be a boy or a girl. And I don't even want to, I don't even think she said decide because she very much felt the decision had already been made, but that it was how to bring everyone along. So I feel like, I mean, I guess I don't, I didn't think about the fact that you're not just a baby doctor. Like, no, that is not at all what you are. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. when you think about that, that's where your mind goes to like yeah. what you do on an everyday basis. There has to be like a lot of joy because you're bringing babies into the world. And then right. a lot of, because you're right, like se- sexual attacks are like, there's a million things that go into that region of our body. And I feel like I hadn't thought of all the different places that that goes to yeah and I think well what I will say which it makes me feel better is that even as young as 10 like my my daughter's in fifth grade then my older daughter she's a senior this year and there are many more fluid type relationships that are discussed amongst the kids you know our age and above struggle with it a lot more like the parents struggle but my 10 year old I was she thinks she has a little boyfriend I'm like okay whatever you know (laughs) and I was like does any of your other little friends well my friend Ivy you know her girlfriend so she's talking about Ivy who her, her girlfriend or who has a girlfriend, Yeah, um, but you know, she doesn't really like whatever her name is, Bella or something, you know, because yeah, she's just a little bit moody, you know, but it yeah. didn't, it didn't come off of her tongue funny at all. Right. She just said it like it was, that was just a norm. And so I felt good that at least within that uh, environment for those kids, there hasn't been trouble. Cause my 10 year old would have told me, you know, yeah. that somebody made them feel some kind of a way. Um, my older daughter, she's a senior and there are several kids that, amongst the kids they're fine it's the parents and so when they come to see me that's the conversation maybe maybe I'm talking to to Billy but his mom still calls him Jill you know what I mean or whatever it is and so how is it that we're going to get you to be able to feel congruent internally and externally with yourself because that's where the that's where the rub is right like you want to be able to feel like whatever's happening on the inside of you is okay on the outside. And when people aren't congruent, that that's where the trouble starts. Right. Um, and just, if people would just read about suicide rates and self-harm and cutting behaviors and all that goes with that incongruency between when, when kids struggle with that, I mean, would you rather have a child that was that way and dead? Yeah. You know, or do you want your child to live? And I think people don't don't recognize because like what you said, they think it is a decision that they're making or whatever it is or however it is that you feel about it. Not yeah. being able to have that conversation with a with a parent or an adult is is tough in this in this particular county, specifically in the past 
couple of years. So um, the other thing we talk about a lot is sexual health past menopause. I mean, give me a break. I tell my husband all the time. I can tell you guys, I don't care. I'm like, I think my labia are getting longer. They look like seal flippers. The older you get, like the changes that happen yeah. in our bodies, like, and like, I need lubricant. <laughs> you know, whatever. Or, you know, like all yeah. this stuff or people who have hysterectomy or, you know, I have some women who, you know, they haven't been with their husband for 10 years. He had prostate cancer. Now she's 60. He passed away. She has a new boyfriend. What are we going to do here? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I have to tell him, listen, you're not going to be able to have an orgasm without clitoral stimulation. I used to have lion's den was down the street and I had a little card that I went in there <laughs> oh, probably 10 years ago. And I was like, this is when that, when someone comes in, this is Dr. Davis's card. I had a lubricant, a little bullet vibrator for them because they were too embarrassed. This is before I you could get on Amazon. This. Oh yeah. I would send them up. They would be like, I need Dr. Davis's card. And then they'd get them the three things. I'm like, you need to learn your own self sister. Cause you know, there is such a thing as too much pressure. Okay. We need to know what setting you like, you know, and, and how is it that you talk to your partner about your body? How is it that you talk about what you like and don't like? How do you know what you like if you don't know what you like by yourself? Right. You know, my, my 17 year old for her 18th birthday, she's probably getting a vibrator because I think she needs to know that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like my, I never talked to my parents about that, but sexual health, you know, people who have more orgasms live longer for God's sakes. Like, give me a break. Like, yeah. I'm all about it. bring on the orgasms. Right. All right. Do yeah, you we feel can like, talk about this stuff. So do you think like being in that, not that this is about Licking County, but small time, I'm sure that it's a, you know, Licking County, Newark is a small town cut out for lots of cities across the U.S. Do you think that there's enough sexual education and prep for all of those major decisions that kids end up making in high school? There's a lot of parents that don't allow that to come through the school board. Their curriculum has to be passed. Um, like, I, like I sit for a group called uh, ROCKS. It's a female empowerment high school program. It's a 20-week program. So there's even people who are interested in not having that in certain school districts. When you're out in this area, yeah. out, out of the city spaces, there's a lot of pushback from parents who don't, don't want that taught outside of abstinence. So right. we're, we're still in that zone. So having that conversation with me uh, for a lot of the kids is very, very um, eye-opening for them. You right. know, that somebody would give them the opportunity to, to discuss it. These poor, <laughs> I just had this 16-year-old was like, um, I don't know how to say this, but it really isn't at all like the books I read. Like, it lasts like two minutes. I said, girl, he don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's only 16, girl. He's only yeah. 16. And when he turns about 60, it's going to be about two minutes again. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love this. Okay, yeah, so but like, you need a vibrator. You need to figure out what you like. You know, I've had people, I've had girls come in to see me because they think something's wrong down there. It's their labia. Yeah. They've never, they, like, they don't know their anatomy. Like I said, everybody should have a pocket mirror. You should know what your shit looks like. Like, yeah. you should know that because how is anybody going to see if there's a change there? How's And we don't call it the, 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 it's your vagina and it's your vagina. Yeah. You know, what sentence do you have for when you start being sexually active? Keep it in your text messages. Hey, by the way, I think you're awesome. I never have sex without condoms. What is the text message that you are going to say? Practice yeah. it in the mirror. Make them practice it with me. Hey, yeah. girl, I think you look great. By the way, I never have sex without condoms. How is it we're going to have this kind con- Who brings them? Who yeah. brings the condoms? What if he doesn't? Like, we talk about, oh, I don't know. I don't, like, they just don't. No, we don't have enough out here. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're putting saran wrap on their penis. I'm like, did you just say saran wrap on his penis? Like, are you fucking kidding me right now with this shit? Yeah. Oh no, we don't have enough. So that was the, that was a long version for, no, we don't have enough. Education. So I even love the fact that, like, in a sense, 
not only like sex education for what to do, how to have conversations with your younger when you're younger, but also just figuring out sex in general, like how to talk to partners, how to get the best, how to, I never knew that multiple, like good orgasm, like I didn't know more orgasms leads to longer life. I mean, that's- Oh my God, yes! All that good blood flow, girl? Yes! What? I love this. I love, I had no idea. I had no idea. If you could give one thing that you feel like people should think about in life, or like, what would it be? So not to like put a plug in on a book, but I bought this book. I bought 38 copies for these, for everybody in my entire office, because I thought everybody needs to read this book because the, it, what in, what is in it for me is life changing. And I think it's, it's really succinct. It's only like, I don't know. It's like a little tiny, small little book that you could just sit down somewhere, but it's called The Four Agreements. I don't know if you guys have read it or not. I haven't. I'm going to put it in my phone right now. I'll get it today. The Four Agreements, it it talks about these four things that if you do these things with your life, you're going to remove like probably 95% of the sorrow out of your life. And it is honest to God true. But the one agreement that I really, 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 really love is be impeccable with your word. That would be the thing that I would say. That's the first room. Be impeccable with your word. Do not lie. Yeah. Do not lie. Do not use your words for negative. Don't speak negative of yourself. Don't speak negative of other people. It doesn't help. Um, don't try to talk other people into being on your side because you're spending time trying to be impeccable. Don't say, yeah, I can't wait to help you and, and take that shift for you. If you don't mean it, just say, thanks, I'm overextended. I can't do it. Yeah. You will remove so much negative energy if you would just fucking tell the truth. No, I don't love you the same way anymore. Are we going to work on that or is there something we can do or do we need to end this? Right. Um, hey, I really fucked that up. Hey, I'm divorced twice. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yes. Like, whatever. Like, no, that dress doesn't look that good on you. Right. Um, hey, you hurt my feelings. That was really a shitty thing that you said to me. Right. Be impeccable with your word to yourself first and foremost. The other agreements are don't make assumptions, don't take things personally and always do your best, but they be impeccable with your word. I do not lie. I don't keep track of lies. I don't keep track of what I told somebody and then blah, blah, blah. I just don't do it. Right. It is removed so much stress. I just know if I, if I said it to you, if I said you are an amazing person, then you are. I do not blow smoke up people's asses. I don't tell them, oh, you did a great job today when you sucked. I tell my nurses, you sucked today. That was an F minus. Let's try to do better tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, nope. So if I ever say it, and they all say that, if she says, you, I did a good job, fuck me. I am amazing today. Yeah. Because I don't say anything that I don't mean. When I say I love you, I mean I love you. I don't spend any time, any time with people who aren't worth it to me at all. Zero, zero. I have don't give one fuck. Yeah. Like he said, if it ain't a fuck yes, it's a no. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I kept you on my little number thing for this long because it was a fuck yes. I just fucking missed it. But, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I am very, very impeccable with my, unapologetically. I know. Listen, this is so good for me. And you shouldn't be sorry. It's so good for me because I feel like I am a people pleaser. You are. the worst. And what are they doing for you? What, What is it that pleasing people does for you? I don't know. I have no idea because I don't want it. And it is short lived. 
I know, because listen, here's the tricky thing that, and and listen, this is why I need to hang out. This is why I need to come when you're on call. You need to send me your on call <laughs> schedule, and I'll come and buy you ice cream. Um, yeah, buy me ice cream. <laughs> I feel like I try to be perfectionist as well. But the thing about it is, is even you saying that, like, be impeccable with your word. That mm-hmm. is being a perfectionist because you are like saying what you're is real. Like you're just being the yeah. real deal. You're saying the real deal. Where yeah. in my mind, it's like I want to do the best. And so if someone says, can you do this? It's like, I say yes. And then I'm like trying to figure out how to do too much. And then I'm mm-hmm. saying a white lie so that they feel mm-hmm. good about why I'm late or why I can't show up or why. And so yeah. I'm not really telling the truth instead of saying mm-hmm. like, first of all, saying from the beginning, thank you so much for asking, but I'm really overextended. That's where I should start. But two, just saying, listen, I overextended myself today and I have no idea why I thought that it was possible that I could make it for coffee at two instead of me saying, well, this happened and then that happened and then in exaggerating everything to make that person feel okay about why I didn't do it. It's terrible. It's just not, it's just not necessary and it doesn't matter. And I always tell people too, you know, and I tell my kids, people make time for what they want to do. And I think that's hard for a lot of people and you particularly Kelly, which I want you to really think about. Yeah, It's like when somebody says, um, because if you were to tell me all this extended, like, oh, this is what happens. No, if you wanted to be there for coffee, you would have been right. Period. So what was really what you need to be able to say to yourself is I had some priorities that were above coffee. Yes. Guess what? Coffee is not making the earth turn backwards. Okay. Right. It's fucking coffee. Right. So get the fuck over it. Oh, I don't know. You have a job. You yes. have some kids. You got a man. Why is it that I should be offended that coffee wasn't literally the very top tippy top of your list of things to do? Unless you are just a lazy fuck and you ain't got shit else to do with your life. Right. I think you probably have a couple of things and don't apologize for it. But you can say, you know what? I'm going to get back with you. I'm going to get back with you whenever I find the time that I can do it. Right. And then you can be in charge of when it is that you want to socially have a leisurely coffee because you have other priorities that you don't need to be apologizing to anybody about. What percentage of women do you think are to where you're at in life? Because listen, I also apologize all the time. I feel like I am aware of it now. And there are certain people in my life that will say like, why did you just say you were sorry? And then, I'm, sa- then I'm saying, I'm sorry for saying I'm sorry. <laughs> so I feel like how- what percentage of women are this way. Um, I think it's slim. I think it's it- not a lot. It's not but I'll tell lot. you what else, there's a lot of people spending a whole shit ton of time on shit that I don't spend time on, posting something on Facebook. I don't even know how to use Facebook. Like, I yeah. like all that stuff, yeah. all that extra generated stuff when we're not, we're not really being present. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with you saying more important to me is meditation time? I'm not going to do coffee with Janae because I'm going to go meditate for an hour out in the woods. Why mm. should you skip meditation time in the woods to have coffee with me. Your time is not less important than anybody else's time. I tell my 10-year-old that. Right. Your time is not less important than anybody else's time. You don't need to apologize to anybody because you picked yourself. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Right. You need to fill your cup up and then whatever you have that flows over, girl, flow it over to somebody else. But until your fucking cup is full, quit pouring. Right. 
Listen, you know, too, even my parenting, like this is now it's going into therapy for Kelly, but I feel like when we have dinner, when we have dinner, I'm like, what was your high and your low for the day? But I feel like I like the idea of not really your low, but what was your fuck up for the day? Yeah. And then we say, what did you learn from it? Which turns it into a positive. I know. So what did did you mess up? What did we learn about that? What what am I going to do different about that? Right. I mean, I feel like I would love for you to be my mom, but do you think, are you someone, is it like, are you super structured in rules or are you, no, no. fly by your seat of your pants and open to all things? Well, I don't want to say fly by this. So I'm really lucky because my, my 17 year old is like a 30 year old. Yeah. She is, um, the VP of the newly, reenacted NAACP chapter. She's student council, all things. She's on homecoming court. She is the lead, uh, whatever the lead thing is that he's, she's the head of that. Um, I walk in a room, she's on the zoom call with the mayor, like my, that one right there. She's in the paper every five minutes for something she's doing for social justice. So that one right there is just a different bird. I don't really have to do a lot with her. She had to have gotten that way for a reason. (laughs) We do have a crap ton of really, really strong women in my family. My two sisters are really strong. My mom is really strong. I think just being around them in general. Plus she really struggled with my second divorce. Like she, she, she took it on the chin on that because she, she got a rude awakening about the realities of, um, pettiness for people and, um, you know, other people's, shitty relationships and how they affect kids, you know, and she was, she kind of took that on the chin. So she grew up pretty quick on that. Um, my younger one though, we do a week on a week off. So when she's here, when she's here, I'm very, very intentional about, let's go take a walk outside. Let's talk about what happened with your day. I just want her to know that I'm here, that I'm present for her, but she's super smart too. Both my kids are like in advanced classes for everything. And so I don't have to struggle with getting them to do their homework and things, which is you know, I know a lot of people struggle with that, which I'm grateful to not have to and have the luxury of that leisure time. My husband that I have now is exceptional yeah. at outdoor activity. He's fishing right now. He hunts and fishes. So we go to the woods and go uh, when he shoots a deer, we're out tracking deer. Like he, yeah. he provides something for my kids that I didn't have out of my other two husbands. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get a, we kayak, like we do a lot of experiences outside. We live on 60 acres in the middle of the woods. Like, yeah. There's a lot that I get to do that I I probably, if I wasn't married to him, wouldn't be able to. Um, and because he stays home and takes care of the property, he gets to go get my kids when I can't get them. So I'm really spoiled from that way. So it's it's not typical. What I get to do with them is not is not a luxury that most people have. So I still have, unfortunately, I have this guilt that like I've put this extra burden on my kids because... How do you make such a remarkable, amazing children when you, because I think that you didn't have, it wasn't like an easy flow when you got divorced. Like how do you let go of not feeling guilt over that? Or do you have some guilt? And how do you parent when the relationship can still be not on the same page? Yeah. I went to therapy. Okay. I, I went to therapy before I start before I got divorced to figure out how to get divorced was yeah. the first thing because that was a, a bad struggle for me with the girls. But I did have to come up with I'm not even my best self being in this marriage. I can't be the best mom that I can be. Two, my children. I, I think if you step back, if you get yourself a little drone or something and back up off yourself, yeah. Um, 
and this is no offense, but with some humility, right. there's nothing wrong with your children. Your children are fine. They yeah. are fed. They are clothed. Yes. And they have love. They, they are not suffering. Right. If you back yourself up a higher view and, and look down at what is really happening with suffering, human suffering right. for kids right now, there's nothing wrong with your children whatsoever. You provide them wonderfulness. Now, the other thing in the four agreements, you can't take that personally. It yeah. just can't have anything to do with you. It just can't. Right. You can't, you can't change other people. You can only change what you do in response to other people. You, you just don't need to be apologetic for having experiences in their life. Right. Because if we knew what trials and tribulations did for us and our children, we would pray for them. We yeah. would pray for a trial and tribulation that we could grow from, that we would learn from. That we could that we could look at how that might affect our lives when we get older and how it is that we don't want that to happen in our children's lives. We would pray for that. Yeah. So the fact that your children are clothed and are fed and have shelter. Check, check, check. That's parenting one oh one. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. it. Anything else that happens, there's nothing wrong with your children. They're not suffering. They are just watching a relationship that didn't work out. Right. Some kids are hungry, Kelly. Right. Some kids can't read. Some kids don't have the internet and they're trying to do homeschooling. Some kids are getting their ass beat. Yes. Some people watching their mom get their ass beat. Right. Some people are getting raped. There's nothing wrong with your kids. It happens to everybody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and that's one of the things is that trying to make our situation not be what everybody else's is. It's the same as everybody who's divorced. Yeah. Every single person who's in their class who has divorced parents had a tenuous exchange. Right. At some point. Right. And they're fine too. And they're going to be fine. Yeah. Love you so much. I'm so excited. This was so fun. It was everything that I wanted it to be. When I was making a list of who are the amazing people that I would want to be on this, you were for sure on the top of the list. And as soon as I got that text, I was like, oh my gosh. Right now, like I need some Janae today in my life. So I'm here, girl. I'm here. Thanks so much to Dr. Janae Davis for being with us today. If you go to the show notes, go ahead and click there to subscribe to our list. Become part of the Greener Grass family. And I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. We are all in a collective food coma. But yeah, I hope you guys had an amazing weekend. Thank you so much to Asa Watkins for post-production. And please honor us with the five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts. We're so excited to have you with us. As always, this is Greener Grass. Okay, Janae, by the way, Kelly just told a birth story about how a whole class of um, med students watched her third... In the thick of probably a contraction or something before my epidural hit, I must have agreed to having a class come in and watch. I think Emerson, I think it was Emerson. And <laughs> and then all these kids were outside of my room with scrubs on. And I was like, what are they doing? And the, everyone was like, they're coming in to watch the birth. And I was like, who said they could do that? And they were like, you did. You said they could do that. And 
And so the whole class came in and I just remember That's saying to them, changing for them. That is life changing. Listen, for I said that in the, in the pot, the episode, I said, one, I said to them, you better all become doctors and t- this better That's never right. show up somewhere. The video better <laughs> never show up somewhere. That's but, exactly right. That's like exactly some of them right. were crying. Like I remember some oh, yeah. of them crying and some of them just Absolutely. like shaking. Like I- I'm so glad I did it, but. Like they were, we were talking about birthing stories because one of the people we had on did a uh, birth at home. I think, right? Is that what he was saying? In mm-hmm. he, like he had water, mid, they had midwife and they oh, okay. yeah. at home. So yeah, uh, Janae, you are. Uh, I I'm gonna say this. What okay. people don't be jealous. You are one oh. of my favorites. Oh my what? gosh, favorite. And I wasn't even on. I wasn't even like. I was just listening. Mostly. That's so sweet. You're that one of so my sweet. favorites. It's because oh it's your gosh. fire. It's your fire. It's her fire. Listen, can you imagine having your leg up, legs <laughs> up in stirrups and her like giving you these like, like, girl, I don't give a fuck why you moved to Worthington. Yeah. Why are you telling That's me right. about that? Your why kids are fine. About they can drive back and forth to school. They're fine. Like she was just like, boom, boom. And I always walk out of there yeah. and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need that. Like, once no, a week. I mean, I want you to be my OBGYN. I can't wait. I'd be like, uh huh, scoot your bottom down here. Uh huh, scoot your bottom down here. Um, Okay, we gotta get this pap. We gotta get this pap now. Scoot on down now.